Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're starting a new series today called Israel's Greatest Philosopher. Too often we go through life assuming the answers to life's biggest questions. What gives life satisfaction? How can I find meaning? What's the point of it all? Ecclesiastes gives answers that change how we see our lives and our place in the world. Now, I don't know how many of you are football fans, but if you are, you know that Tom Brady was in the headlines again this week. It was announced that he and his wife have decided to live separately. That wasn't a big surprise. His wife wants his children to see their dad. Now, Tom Brady is regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time. He's won more Super Bowls than anyone and has a long list of NFL records. But it's taken its toll. He said recently, I haven't had a Christmas in 23 years, and I haven't had a Thanksgiving in 23 years. I haven't celebrated birthdays with people that I care about that are born from August to late January. And I'm not able to be at funerals, and I'm not able to be at weddings. I think there comes a point in your life where you say, you know what? I've had my fill, and it's enough, and time to go on, to move into other parts of life. While he said that, he hasn't exactly been able to do that. He retired in February, and just 40 days later, he announced he would return for another season. Why isn't it enough? Even though it may cost him his marriage, why can't he let it go? And while we're at it, in Hamilton, our generation's most popular musical, why does Angelica end her song with the words, he will never be satisfied, I will never be satisfied? Why do we resonate with that message so much? And why can't you find satisfaction? Why doesn't life deliver what we think it promises? Our passage today answers those questions, and I want to make sure you hear its truths. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of God. Now the preacher, or as I like to call him, the philosopher in this book, is King Solomon. And it's important that we remember that because he was like the Tom Brady of kings. He was richer and more successful than any of them. 
But looking back on his life, he gives some philosophical warnings. His message is essentially, you never arrive, it's never enough, and there's nothing new. But there's more hope and wisdom in this passage than you might think. Let's start with the first warning, you never arrive. He's addressing the person that's looking for satisfaction in the world. And his message is that you'll never be satisfied. If you live like you'll arrive someday, you'll realize that you never truly arrive. In ancient Hebrew, repetition was the way you drove home your point. So repeating a word five times in a sentence is a way of highlighting your thesis. Verse two says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is a famous verse, so the King James wording has been preserved. But today, vanity usually means pride, and that's not the meaning here. The Hebrew word is literally breath or vapor, and it expresses how temporary life is. It's the same word in Psalm 39.5, for instance, where it says, Surely all mankind stands a mere breath. The point isn't that we're all meaningless or proud. It's that our lives are so short. We're like a puff of smoke, gone before you know it. Our lives are like sandcastles on the beach. And understanding the implications of that is a key to living. If verse 2 is the thesis of the entire book, verse 3 is the theme of today's passage. It says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The repetition of the word toil makes it stand out. Toil is like the word work, but the emphasis is on the sweat. It's the hustle and the striving of work. Gain here is an accounting term. It's the profit that's left over when you're done. Under the sun is another phrase that we'll see a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. It refers to life on this side of eternity. It focuses on what we can expect from the world. He's confronting Tom Brady and the rest of us who are living like him. And he's saying, it's all a sandcastle. It's a puff of smoke. What are you thinking you'll get for killing yourself the way you're doing? You're sacrificing your wife, your kids, and your health. What do you think you'll have left over to show for it? In verse 4, Solomon points to history. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now, we would normally say a generation comes and goes, but that's not his point. He's saying that as soon as one generation is done, the next comes in and takes its place. It's not going to be too long before they put me out to pasture. David will probably be preaching, Violet will be running the children's ministry, and little Ore will probably be the church administrator. People come and go. One generation replaces another. You never arrive, you just pass through. That's how life works. Now, in verse 5, he's comparing our lives to the sun. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Everybody loves a good sunrise, and nothing is better than a good sunset. But you know what the sun does after it's finished those incredible performances? It's like it races to get ready for the next morning again. You never arrive. You just pass through. That's how life works. If the sun illustrates a life marked by routine and discipline, the wind is the free spirit. Verse 6 says, The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, 
Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. You can't predict the wind the way you can the sun. It blows everywhere. But notice the end of the verse. On its circuits, the wind returns. Even the wind is stuck in a rut. For all its independence, all of its freedom, it returns to where it started. You never arrive, you just pass through. That's how life works. Now Solomon isn't trying to depress us. He's trying to warn us and to help us. Life isn't a ladder called success where you kill yourself to get to the top. It's more like a merry-go-round where we're invited to enjoy the ride. And if you don't accept that, it can have disastrous consequences. In the documentary, The Weight of Gold, Michael Phelps and other Olympians talk about the depression they faced after competing at the highest level. They've sacrificed normal childhoods, outside interests, and they made no plans for what came after the Olympics. Phelps said, uh, Phelps said we're just so lost. A good 80%, maybe more, develop a post-Olympic depression. I thought of myself as a swimmer and not a human being. And that's where I thought, why don't I just end it all? He lived as if life was about arriving. But that's a recipe for disappointment, not satisfaction. You never arrive, you just pass through. That's how life works. Are you living like life is a ladder? Do you think you'll be satisfied when you reach the top or at least the next rung? Learn from the sun. Learn from the wind. Learn from the passing of generations. Life doesn't work like that. So don't live your life like that. Now, after telling us that you never arrive, Solomon warns us that it's never enough. If you're approaching life in terms of gain, and trying to get all that you can, you'll never be satisfied. If you live for this stuff, it's never enough. Here he's taking aim at our tendency to think that a little bigger house, a little nicer car, a little more luxury in our travel plans will bring us satisfaction. And his message is, it won't. It's never enough. To convince us, he points again to nature. In verse 7, he says, All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. It's like the sea never gets full. It's never had enough. Constantly needs more. Verse 8 makes a similar point. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He's saying that what you observe in nature is mirrored in our own senses. Nobody ever says, I've seen enough now. I think I'll just close my eyes for the next few years. It's funny, we even have a saying, I've heard it all now, but that doesn't mean that we stop listening. Our ears are never full. It's not that contentment isn't possible, but if you think satisfaction comes in something called more, you're playing a game that you can't win. And yet we keep on playing it. Solomon's point is similar to Jesus's words in Matthew 16, 26. That's where he said, what will it profit if a man a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. You can get the whole world and it won't be enough. It won't satisfy you. And you'll have sacrificed your soul in the process. It'll cost you your character, your relationships, and your faith. And you'll be left empty. If you live for the stuff, it's never enough. 
I think this is what James Dobson is describing when he talks about midlife crisis. He says, there's a disillusionment that sets in between the ages of 35 and 50. It's commonly called midlife crisis. I believe it's more a phenomenon of wrong value system than it is of the age group in which it occurs. All of a sudden you realize the ladder you've been climbing is against the wrong wall. Solomon had put his ladder against the wrong wall and he warns us not to follow. And yet we keep getting messages telling us the opposite. We're given the list of the 50 places in the world we have to see, or the 50 restaurants we have to try, or the 50 gadgets we have to have. But it'll never be enough. A number like 50 is held out as a goal to give us hope while we're getting, getting there. But Solomon's telling us there's no satisfaction when you reach 50. It's never enough. That's climbing up the wrong ladder. So you never arrive. It's never enough. And finally, there's nothing new. We are obsessed with the latest thing. <laughs> but the latest thing is just an old thing with new packaging. The answers we're looking for won't come in the latest press relief. There's nothing new. Now, verse 9 gets us started by pointing to the repetition of history. It says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. History keeps repeating itself. It's like we're on a merry-go-round. That's how the world is designed. And we even have a saying for this, right? The more things change, the more they stay the same. But we don't live like that. We're obsessed with new. We crave the latest. Here, verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. Did anyone tune into the Apple event earlier this month? You don't have to, right? You know that they're going to come out with a new iPhone that's practically the same as the old iPhone. And they'll dramatically reveal that it has a better camera, improved screen, and longer battery life. And everyone is trained to go, wow. And it is new. But Solomon's saying, it's like the sunrise. It'll get old real fast. Anyone remember the old iPod Touch? <laughs> Everyone had to have one. Life-changing. Now you can't even give them away. Verse 11 nails home the point. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Impermanence is baked into the very fabric of our world. But we live like this is just going to go on forever. We think we're going to make our mark, but most of our accomplishments will be forgotten. How many of you can name all eight of your great-grandparents? <laughs> the point isn't to depress you, but to make you think about what the world is really like. The latest book isn't going to unlock all the secrets for you. The latest product isn't going to change your life. The latest fashion is going to look ridiculous 20 years from now. And then magically, we're going to call it brilliant 40 years from now. There's nothing new. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We're not climbing a ladder. We're on a merry-go-round. Now, Solomon's message here ends with a thud. He declares, life is like a puff of smoke, and you never arrive, it's never enough, and there's nothing new. And it's like he gives us a mic drop and walks out of the room. And we're left wondering, what to do with this information. Like a good philosopher, 
Solomon's forcing us to think. How do I live if life is like a puff of smoke? How do I live if it, as if I'll never arrive, if it's never enough and there's nothing new? I think that Solomon's life spells that out for us. He spent 14 years building a house he'd only live in for 24, 25 years. He spent a fortune on an earthly mansion and gave little, little thought to a heavenly one. I think we do the same today. Scripture keeps telling us that life is like a puff of smoke. And if we believed that, we'd live as if this wasn't our home. We'd live with our sights set on eternity. We'd live for things that matter for eternity. Instead, we become absorbed with sandcastles that the next tide will wash away. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't, we should just go live in a box, but it asks where our focus is. Are you trading the eternity of tomorrow for a today that'll be forgotten? Solomon ignored the reality that we never fully arrive in this life. He put burdens and expectations on his people so that he could climb his ladder. But those people stored up bitterness that would one day come back to haunt him. I think we do the same today. We think happiness is at the next milestone. We assume satisfaction is when we get to the next achievement. And we trade contentment for a promise that's really a lie. We hurt the people we could enjoy today for the mirage that we imagine tomorrow. Solomon ignored the reality that this world is never really enough. He sent ships out on the seas to bring back the world's treasures and delicacies. And once he had tasted them all, he realized how empty they were. And in pursuing them, he had ignored the God who alone can satisfy. We do the same thing today. We look for our rest and our joy and our fullness in the next meal or the next promotion or the next car. It's not there. Only Christ is enough. Our satisfaction is in the will of God. Solomon also ignored the reality that there's nothing new under the sun. He kept looking for answers in the next new thing. He met with kings and tried to imitate their ways and implement their ideas. With each new conversation, he hoped, this will be it. And in doing so, he ignored the ancient wisdom that God had given him. And this is probably our greatest stumbling today. People will spend hours on Instagram and YouTube, but can't find minutes to spend in the Word of God. Christians will look to the latest parenting blog for answers without giving serious thought to the parenting principles that the scriptures give. People will look to the next conversation for answers to their problems, but never have a conversation with God about the answers he's already given. There's nothing new under the sun. God still wants to do a new work in each of our hearts. Isaiah 43.9 contains a prophecy of the rescue that he was planning for the world. It says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? His plan was to invade the merry-go-round of this world and prepare us for another place. His plan was to rescue a people who were climbing up the wrong ladder and invite them to a life that was eternal, a life that satisfies. When Jesus came, he said in John 10, 10, I came that they, may, that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life he offers is the only thing that's enough. The life that he offers is the only thing that doesn't leave us empty or hungry. The life he offers us 
to only makes us sacrifice the things that don't matter. If you've never come to Jesus for that life, I'd urge you to do that today. You do that by turning from your sin. That means turning your back on the old life that we've been talking about. Turn your back on your way of doing things and embrace his. Turn your back on the world's lies and embrace his truth. And put your full weight of trust in Jesus Christ. Receive him as Lord and Savior. If you've done that, allow the scriptures to peel back the false view of the world that you've bought into. Life is a puff of smoke where you never arrive, it's never enough, and there's nothing new. Embrace Jesus and his will for your life and find your satisfaction in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that your word pierces into so many of the, the lies that we believe about ourselves, about this world, and about the life that you call us to. Help us, Father, to remember that this is not our home, to remember how short our lives are and how long eternity is. Help us to live with a focus on those things that are permanent, those things that, that are lasting, and not to give ourselves to sandcastles, to things that are ultimately nothing more than a puff of smoke. We pray, Father, that we might cling to Jesus and be uh, filled with him and find our sufficiency in him. And Father, for that person who may be listening to this and still doesn't know that life that Jesus came to offer, still hasn't received the eternal life. Call them to yourself. Draw them near and give them the courage to believe. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you to see why we're often so unsatisfied. Life is like a puff of smoke where you never arrive, it's never enough, and there's nothing new. But the hope is that there's something new and permanent that Jesus alone can do in our lives. If today's talk has stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, leave a comment, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless, and see you next time.